Good morning and welcome to All Nations Online. My name is David and I serve on the pastoral team. Uh, we're glad that you're able to join us for worship today. Uh, we're going to continue in our series uh, through the parables of Jesus. Uh, parables were a common method of teaching in Jesus' time. Uh, so it wasn't unique to Jesus' ministry. Uh, but Jesus' parables specifically had a very unique impact to its listeners. It had this polarizing effect. To one group, uh, secrets about God and his kingdom would be revealed through these parables. And to another group, the same parable would function as a veil, concealing truths about God and his kingdom. So the parables were both an instrument of revelation, but also of concealment. See, as much as it pleased God to make himself known through Jesus Christ and through these parables, he also knew that people wanted nothing to do with God. See, the idea of God, is, he's a threat to my independence and to my autonomy and to the way that I want to live my life. And so no amount of evidence, no amount of miracles or even amazing teachings can convince a hardened mind and a hardened heart against God. Right. To these people, these parables were incomprehensible. They didn't understand them. And so typically, parables would have one main idea and lesson. Uh, last week's parable, the parable of the prodigal son, is kind of an exception. There are multiple lessons and ideas that we can uh, come away with. Uh, but normally, a parable would teach one main idea and one lesson. Uh, in our parable today, Jesus is teaching specifically about salvation. How does one enter into God's kingdom? How can one be accepted by God is a question that Jesus is going to answer according to the parable that we're about to read. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20 and we'll read verses 1 through 16. I'm going to give you guys some time to get there. Um, but if you don't have your Bibles... Uh, the scripture verses are going to go up on the screen for you to follow along. Uh, let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word for us. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? He said to them, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made, you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. 
I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is God's word. Amen. You know, previous to this parable, Jesus encounters a rich young ruler. And according to the disciples, this rich young ruler fit the mold of who belongs to God's kingdom. He was rich, he was wealthy, he, was, he had status, he was spiritual, he was moral. But Jesus asked this young man to sell his possessions and to follow him. Um, he was unwilling to forfeit his wealth and to follow Jesus. And so he leaves Jesus sorrowfully. And then Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And this is one of Jesus' favorite sayings. We hear him repeat this throughout the Gospels. And in our parable, he ends with the reverse statement, the last will be first and the first last. Now these can function as brackets to our parable and it should help us understand the main lesson. Right, this statement of the last shall be first and the first last tells how different the kingdom of God is than our world. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's unexpected, counterintuitive. Right? With our conventional knowledge and understanding, we can't comprehend or embrace God's kingdom because it operates so differently than this world. And so the parable starts out with very familiar elements to the, the audience. Verse 1 again, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So Jesus, the masterful teacher that he is, he uses examples and illustrations that are easily understandable to his hearers. Uh, day laborers were lower class people with little status who would wait out in the marketplace for someone to, someone to hire them for that day. Right? And so this would be a common scene in the marketplace. And a vineyard, another um, common uh, thing to the Jewish people. It was common in Jewish agriculture. But also it's a very powerful image and a metaphor used in the Old Testament uh, uh, for God's people. And so, so the story goes, the master of the vineyard goes out early to hire workers for a denarius, which is a normal wage for a day's work. Now, this is generous because uh, these day laborers did not have uh, regular employment, so the master can actually negotiate a deal with the workers for less than a denarius. But uh, we see that this master is generous, and he offers them a full day's worth of wage so the master goes out four more times for these workers right the third hour which is 9 a.m the sixth hour which is 12 p.m the ninth hour which is 3 p.m and the 11th hour being 5 p.m and each time he goes out to look for these workers he offers them the same wage right you can see how this is going to be problematic right? how is this fair uh, you know, this concept of, of fairness is something that I'm struggling to explain uh, right now in my household. Right? Jane and I, we have uh, three young kids, uh, and especially to the to two older kids, 
uh, something that we hear all the time is, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Whether it's the amount of snacks we give to each one of them, whether it's uh, giving them you know, equal time to watch the shows that they want, we hear that's not fair. And right now I'm trying to explain to my kids that life isn't fair. Uh, you, there is uh, nothing like complete fairness in this world. Right? So I tell them it's not fair, just go to sleep. Assuming the first worker started at 6 a.m., they would have worked close to 12 hours for that day, while the 11th hour worked one measly hour. And so the, the, the workday ended at 6 p.m., and, and the Jewish law ensured that these workers would get paid before they left. And, and so it's obvious what 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 you can assume would happen next. Verse 8, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Right. By anyone's standard or any labor system, this does not seem Right. How can the compensation be the same? And so understandably, the, the first workers voiced their complaints in verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. The master responds to their complaints in a shocking way. Verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. You know, often in Jesus' parable, when we see uh, kind of different characters, they represent different people. So who do these characters represent? Obviously, the master of the vineyard is God. And the vineyard represents his kingdom. God is the one who goes out in the marketplace looking for people for his kingdom. The first workers represent God's chosen people, the Israelites. It is God who initiated, right, first with Abraham by making a covenant with him. And through Abraham, the nation of Israel would be born. See, God promised Abraham that he would bless him so that he would be a blessing to all nations. Abraham, from Abraham's seed would come the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. They are the first workers, they had thousands of years of history with God. They endured and experienced so much. But God's plan of redemption started with Israel, but it would not end there. His plan was to save all nations, tribes, and tongues for his glory. The 11th hour then represents the others. Those out on the margins, Gentiles, the non-Jews, sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. The 11th hour workers are the ones God invited to his kingdom 
while not sharing the same culture, traditions, and even religious systems of the Jews. See, although these were never the basis of God's, of being a part of God's people, over time, the Jewish people, with their traditions and their cultures and their religious systems, started believing that these are the things that qualify me of being a part of God's kingdom. You start thinking it's because of my heritage, the rituals, my family traditions, that I am a part of God's kingdom. See, after thousands of years, the people of God forgot that it was God who first initiated with Abraham. And this initiation was purely out of God's sovereign grace. Abraham possessed nothing that qualified him for God to choose him and to make these amazing promises to him. See, this covenant that God made with Abraham was a gift of grace. But over time, as they built their customs and systems, grace was forgotten. And he believed that they earned a place in God's kingdom. So how can people who haven't endured the same trial and abide by the same traditions share the same status is the tension, is the question. How is that fair? Right? And that was a complaint of, the complaint of the first workers. God, in his tender and gentle voice, says, friend, this is what he's saying, friend, I called you by grace to my kingdom. And it is that same grace that calls others to my kingdom. If I can, kind of give a modern, modern example of this parable. I'll put it like this. Um, there is a, a host to a party, and he, he sends out invitations. And I'm the first one to arrive at the party. And as I arrive at the party, I see a table filled with amazing food and drink. And so I'm helping myself to those food, uh, to, the, to the food and drinks, and I'm, I'm having a good time, right, at this party. Uh, but there are these people, as the party's about to end, there are these people that come late, and we all know people like that, right, the always fashionably late people. They come, and they come to the same table, and, and there's still the same drink and food there. And as they're about to eat and enjoy themselves, I protest to the, the host of the party and say, wait, 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 wait. You're going to let them eat that and drink that? And, and then the host of the party is like, what, what's wrong? Is there not enough food for you? And I reply, no, no, no. I had plenty, plenty to eat. I'm not even hungry. But, but you're going to let them have the same privileges as I did when I was the first one that arrived. And the master of health says, like, yeah, I'm going to let them enjoy that. It's, it's a silly and ridiculous thing for me to protest at a party that I'm not even hosting, I didn't even supply the goods for the, the, the entertainment and the food and drink. It would be ridiculous for me to complain and protest uh, for these last, like, last second attenders of the party to enjoy. It's not my place. The host provided the space. The host is provide, who, who's uh, provided so much food and drink for, for people to enjoy. What gives me the right to block these people to enjoy this party? So Jesus here is not, he's obviously not giving a, a, a business model, right? So what's the point that he's trying to make? What is it? 
Here it is. Salvation is a gift of God to the undeserving. Salvation is a gift of God to the undeserving. The king graciously invites us. He provides work and he offers a generous wage to all who are willing to accept this invitation. Salvation is a gift of God's generous grace. Now many of us listening to this is, yeah, I've heard this. This is Christianity 101. Right? So, so for many of us, this is a, a familiar idea. But if we take it to heart, and if we really understand this profound truth, it should transform us. It should change us, change us in drastic ways. So I want to share how this should impact our lives. I want to share three characteristics of a kingdom purpose kingdom person if they understand and they embrace this idea of grace first is humility humility if salvation is based on grace and not merit that means my work my efforts or nor my performance plays a part in it right these day laborers could only hope to find work for that day they had no control over the process All they had to do, all they could do was make themselves available in the marketplace, but an employer would have to pick them. They were lower class people, uneducated. Right? Household slaves would actually hold more status than these workers. Yet the master seeks them out, offers them a place in the vineyard, and gives them a generous wage. But he doesn't only go out once. He goes out four more times. Four more times. Again and again. Now imagine as the 11th hour worker. Right? Imagine being that worker. I can imagine that worker being scrawny. Right? Weak. Gaunt. Barely being able to lift 50 pounds. Right? They were unfit for labor. Undesired. Unnoticed. They were the least of the lowest. But yet the master invites them and he gives them the same wage see it is god who seeks sinners he seeks out sinners he offers a life in his kingdom not at our cost but his cost he gives us jesus christ his one and only son to grant grant us access into his kingdom See, even the faith that God requires for us to experience his acceptance and his kingdom, he supplies for us. See, the fact that I'm amongst those who uh, who understand the mysteries of God's kingdom is a reflection of his unmerited favor towards me. See, the truth is we are all the 11th hour worker. We are wretched. We are broken unqualified, unfit for God. But because he loves us, he made a way for us to work in his kingdom. See, if I play no role in salvation, then there's no room for pride. No one is worthy or qualified. There's no bragging rights when you are rescued and saved. We are all part 
of his kingdom because of the king's generous grace. We are not above another brother or sister in Christ. We are all saved by grace, and this should humble us. The second thing is gratitude. Gratitude. The first workers, after a long workday, forgot that they didn't have a wage to begin with in the first place. They thought that they deserved better treatment. So instead of being thankful for the wage, they grew entitled and demanded more. They grew envious of the 11th hour worker. See, envy is begotten when grace is forgotten. When we forget grace, we, we end up right, with using these false metrics to determine our worth and others' worth. We start comparing ourselves to one another when we forget grace. See, many of us, we've been Christians for a while. And after faithful church attendance, giving our tithes, serving and sacrificing, something happens within our hearts. We think we deserve more than others who are doing less. We start comparing our blessings to others. And then envy creeps into our hearts. Wait, I, I, I do more. I give more. I serve more. Why does my look different? Why does my life look worse than the people that are doing less? Why did they get that job? Or that girlfriend or boyfriend? Or that house? Or into that grad program? Envy starts to creep in. And that happens when we forget grace. See, the truth is God owes me nothing. But yet he graciously invited and accepts me into his kingdom. See, if I was deserving of anything, it would have been God's wrath. Because I'm a sinner. I was his enemy. So we, we grow entitled when we've forgotten where we came from and what we actually deserve. So the gospel is truly unfair because we get what we don't deserve, which is grace, and we don't get what we deserve, which is mercy. As those graciously invited into God's kingdom, despite our lack of qualifications, we are called to work. And yes, there is work to do, to exercise our faith, to share the good news with others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so there is much work to do. But we work not begrudgingly, but with gratitude. See, the greatest privilege of being a worker in God's kingdom is to have Jesus as our king and our master. It is in him that our eternity is secured. Because of him, we have an inheritance that is not perishable. It's in Jesus where we can experience true joy, peace, and comfort. Because we didn't labor for our salvation, we are now free to labor for our Savior. The last characteristic of someone who embraces the gospel of grace is that they are gracious to others. See, the Jewish Christians had difficulty accepting the Gentiles because they lacked their history and their traditions, forgetting that they were the recipients of God's gracious call. They required others to jump through hoops to be considered one of them. Are the lens that you use to evaluate someone's acceptableness in God's kingdom based on religious appropriation 
or based on God's generous grace? Which is it? And do we think that someone is beyond God's reach? And so we dismiss them or neglect those individuals or those groups. Or as someone who's experienced God's amazing grace, are we quick to embrace and even invite others to receive this generous offer of the master of the vineyard? See, people who have experienced this amazing grace should be the most dividing, most hospitable, and missional. See, some of you guys listening to this may be trying to figure out, how can I be the 11th hour worker uh, who works the least but get, gets paid the same? If that's the way that you're thinking, you're, you're completely missing the point. You can't rig the system. Because the idea is, we don't know when our time is up. We don't know when we're going to have to stand before the judge and give an account for our life. But if you're listening to this message, and this invitation is something that's intriguing to you, I want to invite you to respond by accepting that invitation. Repent of your sins. Confess that you are a sinner. And accept the work that Jesus did for you on that cross. He died for you in your place so that you can enter into God's kingdom. And if you make that decision, I want, I want to encourage you to go into our website and you can contact us and just let us know about your journey and we'll love to follow up with you. But for those struggling with pride, envy, entitlement, could it be that we've forgotten about this grace? Instead of G- seeing Jesus as your ultimate treasure, have you sought after the things that you think he can get you? Have you forgotten that you were once lost and that you were dead in your trespasses, that you were condemned in your sin. Have you forgotten about that truth? In Christ, we are found. In Christ, we are alive. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are redeemed. See, God is the one who pursued us when we were unworthy, unfit. God came in Jesus Christ to make us worthy. The call for us is to remember grace and be amazed and in awe that we, can, that we can enjoy and delight having Jesus as our king. And we get to work in God's kingdom for his glory and for his eternal purposes. See, brothers and sisters, we serve an amazing and gracious God. Let's not forget his generous gift of his one and only son. Let's live in humility in gratitude, and let's demonstrate grace towards others for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, of this amazing parable that reminds us that salvation is a gift to the undeserving. God, we possess nothing uh, within us no, no character trait, no, nothing that merited your amazing sacrifice of your one and only son who lived a perfect life, who died in our place, who became sin for us, but then to rise again after three days 
conquering sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. And by faith, faith that you gift us, we can now be your children. We can belong to your kingdom. We could work in your vineyard. God, we thank you so much for this amazing truth. God, I pray that during this difficult time, that grace would not be lost, that we will not forget it, but that we would be in awe and in wonderment that you would save such a sinner like me and that you would invite me to be a part of your eternal kingdom. God, I ask that you would encourage us now. Holy Spirit, fill us with joy and delight for we have Jesus as our king and our master. Help us, Lord, to live in humility, to work with gratitude, and to show grace to others. We thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord. Help us to live faithfully and for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.